I am in awe with what God is doing and how his names declare his greatness, his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness. And when we think of God, you know, sometimes it's like he's right there and other times it's uh, a little more subtle. And I think of this just as there's something happening incredible at our church right now. It's our light display. And it's every single night from 6.30 to 9 o'clock. It's music, it's lights, and it's an incredible way to experience God and to experience who He is in a non-threatening way. You invite your neighbors, you invite your friends, you use that as an opportunity to let them know about Christ, the Jesus of Christmas, and Grumlaw Church. And there's another way that we experience who God is by His names. There's so many names in Scripture for God, and I believe that there isn't just one name because one name or even a few names are not capable to describe who he is. And in this series, we're going to be discussing the names that describe God, the names that describe Jesus. And there's going to be a verse that's like the focal point of what we're going to be talking about. It's a verse that's often used uh, around Christmas. And we learn that a child will be born, a son is given, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But before we get to the substance and to the meat and to the significance of that verse, uh, I'm here to kind of set it up. It's kind of like the planning before an incredible Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal. It's kind of like uh, the teeing up before you strike the ball when you're golfing. It's the prep for a spiritual journey. And I'm confident that you will experience hope today by, by experiencing that Jesus brings light. He brings illumination. And before we get into the heart of what I'm going to share today that I believe God put on my heart, uh, I'd like us to pray. Prayer is just communication with God. And most of the time we bow our heads out of reverence. And so let me pray right now. Father God, uh, I thank you for those who are listening right now. Maybe they've never listened before, or maybe they've been on track with us for uh, a lot of months. For those who um, do not know you, for those who uh, do not have a personal relationship. And I pray that today they'll take the step of faith, step over the line of faith, acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, and ask you to come into their life. For those who have stepped over the line of faith and are still trying to figure out what it means to walk with Jesus, I pray, dear God, that they'll take their next step and uh, understand the significance of reading your word and the power that comes through that. And for those who know you, I pray, Lord, that today you'd give them new illumination. You'd inspire them in such a way that they'll take their next step to draw closer to you. And as a result of that, they will experience your power and your presence in a fresh way. I pray this, Lord, in the power that you give us and in the name of Jesus, name above all names, amen. 
And so what we're going to do today is this, is we're going to look at the five verses that are before that incredible verse that I've already, uh, already quoted, uh, Isaiah 9-6. And those verses read like this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea. By the way, this is the place where Jesus spent the majority of his time during his earthly ministry, and it will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Do you sense here that people are, uh, there's a struggle in life. There's, um, they're not experiencing life as God intended. And God is saying he'll lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. This was an incredible prophecy of what was going to take place. We, where we sit today, we have such an advantage over the people that didn't know what we knew. In some ways, I say they walked by greater faith. This was a prediction. What is a prophecy? I just shared right there. It's a prediction. It's the power and the ability to know what will happen. It's this idea of this is going to take place. What's interesting is, is sometimes we say something's going to happen and we don't even know if it's going to happen. Sometimes we're lucky. But when God's word um, gives us a prediction, gives us a prophecy, it is going to happen. This is what makes the Bible, God's word, the living word, so remarkable, so amazing, so transforming. It's, it's like long before Christ came, it was predicting that there was going to be a light. It was predicting that there was going to be a savior. It was predicting that there was going to be a Messiah. And what brings credibility to God's word, first and foremost, is this, is look at the number of authors there were. There, there were 35 authors mentioned by name, but there were only over 40 authors. And they wrote the scriptures over a span of hundreds of years. How, how did Isaiah know what Matthew was going to write? Did Matthew know what Isaiah was going to write? Absolutely not. And it was predicted, as we've already read, as we've already gone through, that there was going to be a child, he was going to be a son, and there are other prophecies that said he was going to be born in Bethlehem. 
What's amazing, the book of Isaiah gives us so many rich prophecies and predictions that have come to fulfillment. It said, by his stripes, we would be healed. And the reality is this, is Jesus was whipped. And through what he went through on the cross, we have salvation. And I'm confident that this Christmas season, and today, we're going to see Jesus from many different levels. When I say levels, I read that scripture and you followed along with me. But let's go and take it a little bit deeper and understand the meaning of that to us today. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. God, the God of the Bible, has always wanted to rescue people from themselves, from darkness, from false gods, from sin, from self-defeat. There's people who live in despair and they don't have hope. Back in the Old Testament, people were living that way. Today, people are living that way. And there are those people who suffer and I, I think of an individual right now who is suffering, suffering greatly because of cancer and cancer treatments. And, and we're praying that this individual will be healed. And in this process, this individual has not lost hope. There's been down times, but the reality is this. If she is not healed, she still has the assurance because she's seen the light, she believes in the light, she believes in the inspiration of the light. She'll spend eternity with Jesus. It goes on in the scriptures in verse 2 of the ninth chapter, and it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And I've already referenced that. Now, back in the 80s, there was a song. Uh, Light of the world, shine on me. Love is the answer. And that wasn't real good right there, that singing that kind of thing. But you get the idea. And for those of you who are a little bit older, you get it. But there's a thread that goes through Scripture. Remember when I said that the, the Word of God is transforming, that the Word of God brings illumination? That's because there's a thread of light throughout Scripture. God said, let there be light. He created it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he can say that because it tells us in 1 John that God is light. And then... God actually says, I've passed the light on to you. Those of you who profess my name, believe in me, desire to let the light of Christ shine through you. It says, don't cover your light. What's so incredible about this, this was all predicted long before Jesus the light came. You will see a great light. A light will shine. The creator God said, I'm coming and I will lead you. I will guide you. I will bring comfort to you. And it's almost this crescendo that we get in scripture, but even in individual passages of scripture. And in verse three of this ninth chapter, it says, it's people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at 
the harvest. We're already seeing this theme of light going through Scripture. And light leads us to live a life that can only be encompassed in and through Jesus Christ. This theme of rejoicing in joy. It's in the Old Testament. We just read it three times. It, it also says in the scriptures, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Only Jesus can bring that joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It says always be filled with joy. And it was predicted in the Old Testament even before Jesus came. And now that we've experienced what Jesus has done, joy can be part of our lives. I think of a guy, uh, a friend of mine, um, he's older now. When he was younger, he got, he was stricken with polio. Uh, he got married, has a great wife. They, they, had, uh, they had a son and that son has special needs. And then when he got a little bit older, um, something happened with his vision and he couldn't see out of one eye real well. And if there's anybody who could say, why did God do this? And why is my life going this way? I never heard or saw Don ever not have the joy of the Lord. Why? Because he knew that God was light. He knew that God would lead. What's remarkable is, is long before the incarnation, long before Jesus came, long before what we celebrate at Christmas, that great event was predicted. And we say it here so often. It's so good. It's so good. The passage goes on to say, as we look at this at a different level, lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. I mean, God's children were in slavery and God's people also cho chose to live their own life and do it their own way. The yoke of slavery, that, that, that oppression. When I, when I was studying for this talk, I just, um, I was just absolutely humbled by the fact of the absolute oppression that african-american people went through when they were in slavery but what got a lot of them through it it was singing incredible gospel music and looking to the light but slavery can also be sin and i'm here to tell you today that there is not a sin that cannot be conquered through the light of the world, Jesus. Whether it's alcoholism, maybe it's uh, pornography, maybe it's overeating, maybe it's overspending. There is no burden that you have to carry on your own because thousands of years ago, it was predicted that there would be a savior who would come and would lift that burden. Look what it says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. There's a thread in the Bible of light that absolutely leads to 
a thread of restoration, a fact that we can be healed. The Bible is a storybook of light. It's a storybook of illumination. I, there's no book that can do what the Bible can do. When I say light illumination, I mean you can read a passage for years and then all of a sudden there'll be an aha moment and you'll go, I've never seen what was intended to be seen in that word or that passage before. That's illumination. Light brings illumination. Jesus, who is light, brings illumination. Yeah, the, the light is a book of instruction. How to deal with tough situations, relationship hassles, um, finances, marriage, leadership. There isn't a subject that we encounter today that the Bible doesn't give us instruction on. And sometimes the Bible, appropriately so, will kick our spiritual you-know-whats. But it's also there to inspire us and let us know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. One of the reasons that we put such an emphasis on reading God's word is because it has and it can change your life and my life. I would just challenge those of you who are listening to this right now that if you've never done it before, would you make a commitment to read through the Bible in a year? Read through the Bible in a year. I mean, if you're a slow, slow reader, that would take uh, no more than 15 minutes a day. But for most of you, it's going to be about 10 minutes it would take to read the appropriate chapters to read through the Bible in a year. I believe that this is so transformational for you that if um, you email me at terry.prisk at grumlaw.com, I'll send you a reading plan. And during the course of 2022, periodically, I'll send you uh, notes of encouragement of how to continue to read. But do not email me if you're not serious about this. And if you're going to peter out after two months, this is a 12-month process that will absolutely change your life. And so getting back to the text, we've gone through four verses at a, at a deeper level. The fifth verse basically says, victory comes from God and God alone. And whatever you're trying to conquer in your life today, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it with Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. So let's dig a little bit deeper and go to another level. What does light symbolize? Light symbolizes holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Unique, unique, unique. Special, special, special set apart, set apart, set apart. The light of the world is like nobody else. When Moses experienced God in a burning bush, he was told, take off your shoes, you're walking on holy ground. And we have so many examples of people 
who when they've been in the presence of God, they covered their face, they bowed down, or they fell on their face. The light of the world symbolizes holiness. It symbolizes also goodness. Goodness actually means godliness, an excellence of character. And right now there are several men and women that uh, I'm picturing in my mind that I just liked being around them because the goodness, the godliness of God just oozed out of them. What does light symbolize? It symbolizes knowledge, literally knowledge, a base. Let me give a, a term that we use sometimes in Christianity, doctrine. It's what we believe and why we believe it. It's an understanding of God's word from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, something is very troubling to me today. I've seen it several times in the last several months that only 7% of people who call themselves Christians have a biblical worldview. That's evident by the fact that people who call themselves Christians say, I believe in Jesus, but there's other ways that people can get to God. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one has accomplished what Jesus has accomplished. This is why I'm sharing with you, encouraging you to read through the Bible in a year. Read through it. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Get your source of truth from God's word versus culture. What else does light symbolize? It symbolizes wisdom. Acting as Christ would act, being as Christ would be, caring as Christ would care, doing as Christ would do. I like to say it's knowledge in motion. It's practical spiritual living. All of us need wisdom. It tells us in the book of Proverbs, the greatest um, book of wisdom, that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, in all thy getting, get wisdom. If any man or woman lacks wisdom, let them ask of God. It tells us in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs, if you want to know what to do to be right and just and fair, then seek wisdom. Just the other day, I went and spent time with one of my sages, a guy who is much wiser than me. He's older than me. I just love to be near him, ask him questions, and just literally mentally be challenged, spiritually be challenged with his crumbs. What else does light symbolize? It, it symbolizes hope, a desire and expectation of good. Oh, my word, in the day we live today, hope is needed. And when you know the light of the world, you go, regardless of what happens in the world, God's got this. What does light symbolize? It symbolizes God's revelation. There is a purpose, there is a plan. In some ways, it tells us in Scripture that at times it's going to get worse before it gets better. People will become lovers of themselves. But those who stay faithful, God will stay faithful, 
and God has this under control. John 1, 4 through 5 says this, The Word, which is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought what? Light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, never extinguish it. To put all of what I've said at this level together, and uh, this is the definition I'd like to give light for us to go home with. Living in God's hopeful truth. Would you say that with me? I don't care if you're at the kitchen sink right now. Living in God's hopeful truth. If you're listening to this in your car right now, make the person next to you look at you because you're yelling this so loud right now. Living in God's hopeful truth. Uh, one of the ways that we see God living this out and followers of Jesus living this out was in the last series that we were in on giving and generosity and there are people that literally their lives will be changed forever because they were exposed to the light in this area and now they're experiencing freedom. And I just want to say, along with Shay and the staff, thank you for letting the light infiltrate you in this area. Let's take it to another level and bring it home. I have several questions that I want to ask you. Have you invited the light to transform your life. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again? Now, I've shared this many times, and some uh, parts of what we share bears repeating. I'll say to someone, are you going to go to heaven? And they say, well, I hope so. The reality is, is if you say, I hope so, then you haven't been born again because if you have experienced the life-changing message of Christ, you've experienced the light infiltrating your life, illuminating you, inspiring you, and instructing you as we've discussed, you have no doubts that you're going to heaven because of what it says in God's word and you've experienced that light. And if you have not experienced that, would you today acknowledge that there is a God who came, who loved you, believed in you enough to die on the cross to be the substitute for your sins and my sins, and ask that God who rose from the dead to come into your life. And if you know Jesus, are you daily saying, let the light infiltrate me? Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, his light, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, a lot of times people go, well, that's just the way I think. God is in the business, the light of the world, because of illumination, because of instruction, because of inspiration, changes our thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The more we let the light infiltrate our lives, the more we begin to be like him and people will see the light in all, us also. There's a guy that uh, lives on the East Coast and uh, I'm making it a habit 
of being in touch with him at minimal once a month. And the reason for it is this guy on a daily basis pulls out new insights from God's word that changes his life. And as a result of his life being changed, guess what? Other people's lives are being changed. So the question is, uh, have you invited the light to transform your life? The second question is, is sin dimming your light? Let me go to a passage in the book of John. And it says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light, Jesus, came into the world at the incarnation, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. That's why some people stay away from church. That's why some people don't want to hang around people who um, know Jesus and are the light because they don't want to be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Um, I got to admit that I don't think the other day I exposed God's light real well. I was driving eastbound down 59. A truck pulled right in front of me. And no, I didn't flip them off. And, but I, I flashed the bright lights. When I went by, I let them know that I was not pleased. And then as I just passed M59 and 23, I said, what did you just do? Was it worth it? I mean, I literally used my lights to dim my light. I said, God, forgive me. Probably that guy will show up at church this week. Maybe I can ask for forgiveness of him. Another question. Are you openly sharing the light? Mark 4.21 states this. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Let me ask a question that emphasizes that question. Are you openly sharing the light? Are your lips and lifestyle communicating the light and the love of Jesus Christ. You and I have a responsibility to share God's love, but as we spend time in his word, we also have a responsibility to speak truth and to defend the word of God with love. And so I want to go back to that idea of what light is and have us repeat it again Living in God's hopeful truth. Would you say that with me? Living in God's hopeful truth. I have an example of this. Um, there's an individual that we do life together. We're in a group together. He holds me accountable. I hold him accountable. And I, I try to spend less and less time uh, observing Facebook, but I noticed at times that he would communicate uh, some ideas or some thoughts or use some language that I just went, 
where is this individual coming from? And to, and to protect our relationship, uh, I'll just call him Sam. And it's not Sam. But uh, I called Sam up one day and I just said, hey, Sam, how you doing today? We talked a little bit. And then I said, Sam, um, could, I, could I present something to you? Can, can I make an observation? And he has an incredible, incredible uh, teachable spirit. I said, I just noticed that sometimes on social media and specifically on Facebook that you use some uh, language that I don't know if you want that to represent you. I don't know if maybe that's the best as a follower of Jesus. And I said, have you ever thought that what you post on social media, um, it represents Jesus it represents your church. It represents, for those who know me and know you, it represents me. It represents a lot of people. It, it, it just does. And I wish I would have been with him in person because I could tell that there was nonverbal communication going on where he just, it was like there was a pause and like I never thought of it that way. And what I was doing for emphasis and to be funny was actually distracting Jesus being seen in me. I was dimming my light. And I want to tell you, since that day, I have not seen one questionable item pop up on any of his feeds. There's a guy that was illuminated, he was approached in love, and he changed. What about you? What about me? I'm not going to get all uptight when somebody cuts in front of me and I actually use my lights to dim my light. He's the light of the world and he can change and transform us this is going to be an incredible, incredible series.